and welcome to episode 3 of the Better Buy Tag Room. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about girls' magazine of the pre-war era and how these magazines create the visual and literary language for shoujo manga that we start to see after the war in the 1960s into the 70s. But to start, we need to go to the early years of Taisho era. By the time Taisho starts in 1912, Japan has already taken over Taiwan taken over the Korean Peninsula, and had a victory against Russia in the Japan-Russo War. So life in Japan is seemingly thriving. The upper and middle classes are doing well. Their population is growing. The military is increasing. Japan seems to be becoming the modern nation in Asia. And because life for the upper middle classes in Japan is doing so well, advertisers are now seeing opportunities to reach parts of the nation that they haven't reached before, mainly housewives, young children, teen boys, and teen girls. So in early Taisho, you start to see a boom of magazines with specific demographics in order to reach these people, in order to buy their products. Girls' magazines in the pre-war era were literary, you had nonfiction, fiction, poetry, calligraphy. You also had art and photography. Many of these magazines also had a educational focus because, as we talked about in the last episode, late Meiji and Taisho era saw the almost rapid rise in girls' education. These magazines grew with the growth of girls' education, so many of these magazines reflected that. With the High School Girls Law 1899, a lot of these magazines had a conservative tone, very educational base, and had approval with parents and adults, like Shoujo Club. But some of these also had focus more on the creative side. In the first decade of the 20th century, we see Shoujo Kai and Shoujo Sekai start in 1902 and 1906, but these magazines only last for a couple decades. One of the most popular magazines, and arguably the one most responsible for creating the eventual shoujo manga aesthetic, Shoujo no Tomo, started in 1908, with his contemporaries Shoujo Club starting in 1923 and Shoujo Gaho starting in 1918. Shoujo Club is notable for still being in print today, and also being the girls' magazine with the highest circulation numbers. While Shoujo Gaho, a sister magazine to Fujin Gaho, which was a woman's magazine more focused on housewives, it's notable for being where Hanamotogatari by Nobuko Yoshia started. Hanamotogatari is a series of short stories that focuses a lot on S relationships, but also in other topics relating to girl students. An important aspect to all girls' magazines, but especially Shoujo no Tomo, is the level of interactivity between the staff, the artists, the writers, and their readership, where you would have Q&As between the staff and the readership. The readers could send in letters. These letters get published. You could send in art. They could have contests for art and for short story writing. And these magazines into the 20s and the early 30s would just have larger and larger sections of just reader-submitted content. And this level of interactivity, reader content, it helps create a sense of community between all these students in this new world of all-girls education. 
And this sense of community becomes really important to the readership because it makes it feel like they have friends they can communicate with. They have people that understand what they're going through because a lot of the popular discourse at this point in Japan is, is the shoujo a threat to Japanese society? The shoujo, like many young women have been in other cultures throughout time, is the target. Social critics more attached to the old ways of Edo don't like seeing more and more westernness enter Japan. In the shoujo, a young woman who's going to schools, run by westerners, created by westerners, she's learning things that women of the past were not allowed to learn. And this is seen as a possible threat to Japanese society. You also see, even in the discourse around spiritual love, the shoujo is treated more as just a love interest. And again, a threat to either the male love interest's actual relationship with his spouse or with his sensibilities and how he needs to, or the male protagonist's sensibilities and how he needs to approach love. The shoujo doesn't have any autonomy in the relationships she's involved in in a lot of these adult romance novels. She's there for the protagonist to explore and understand how he needs to understand this new world of spiritual love or just this new world of a modern Japan. Discourse about the growing Japanese empire and the thoughts of assimilation of others, you can argue, is present in girls' magazines through this common trope of sameness. Visually, there is a literal and figurative sameness through the art. The picture I chose for the S Relationships episode, I chose because all those girl students are literally the same. Their uniforms are the same. Their faces are the same. There are slight variations in haircuts, but all the girls in that photo are unmistakably Japanese. And a common thing you'll see in the art for girls' magazines and from the artists of this era, you'll see two girls one could be wearing a kimono, the other would be wearing western outfits, but their faces are the same. They have similar haircuts. So despite one of these girls having western wear, high collars, seemingly not being a traditional Japanese girl, because of the sameness, the audience can understand this person is Japanese. She is unmistakably Japanese. She is a part of this culture. She is a part of this modern nation. And the reason why you can argue that this was a part of the assimilation of Japanese colonies is because into the 30s, Shoujo no Tomo and possibly others, I haven't seen evidence of it, they were published in the Korean Peninsula, in Taiwan, in Manchuria, these Japanese colonies. So even these young people in these colonies are being, they're seeing this constant image of a Japanese girl and other Japanese girls and what the ideal Japanese-ness is. Shoujo Club was the most conservative in tone and the most in line with the high school girls' law in the curriculum set nationally. And a lot of the stories and the editorial pieces in Shoujo Club made sure to tell their readership to be good wives and wise mothers. Whereas Shoujo no Tomo, especially under Motoi Uchiyama, who became editor-in-chief in 1931, he wanted to bring girls an outlet to be creative. He was very inspired by another magazine, Akai Tori, and that magazine had a lot of stories in it. And he wanted to bring that opportunity to girls to read stories that weren't just about being a dutiful woman, being a good student, but to let them be creative, to read these stories that can inspire them. And he also 
had the most reader submitted content in the magazine. So one reader interviewed back in the 80s, I believe, said that girls didn't have this opportunity anywhere else. Shoujo no Tomo was the only place where girls could be creative and be creative with others because of this large sense of community with the readership. Some of the content in the magazine would just be readers putting in letters, not necessarily to anyone, but it could just be like, just about your school life, what's happening, what you're doing. People could see that. They would also submit just update posts. They can also talk to other girls directly through the magazine. The Tomo-chan Club section of Shoujo no Tomo, it kind of emulates like the forums and the blogs of 90s internet. Everyone from wherever could come to one central place and see what everyone else is doing and update each other and make friends through this single place, this magazine, Shoujo no Tomo. And by the late 20s, this magazine also has official meetings, the Tomo-chan Club. In these meetings, you could have talent show portions in the Tokyo area, especially the editor-in-chief, Uchiyama, and the artists of the magazine come in and meet the girls. And this just helps create this sense of community between this nation of students that while people, parents, brothers, other adults see this magazine and all they see is just fashion, art, weird, flowery language, they don't understand. But if you're a part of the community, you understand what all of this means and why it's important. The writing staff of Shoujo Club had a more authoritative tone to their writing to the readers, whereas Shoujo no Tomo made a conscious effort to write like their readers were writing. They were using the language and the slang of these girls' students. So by the mid-30s, Shoujo no Tomo, in their 1935 issue, had 14% of near 350 pages dedicated to just reader-submitted content. Whereas the popular boys magazine of that same month only had 7%. And to further show just how conservative and education-focused Shoujo Club was, Shoujo Club only had 2% of 320 pages from an October 1935 issue dedicated to reader submissions. So this really shows that the editor-in-chief Uchiyama and the magazine itself, Shoujo no Tomo, were really focused and wanted to let girls just be able to express themselves in a place where they didn't have to get adult approval. They could just write or draw what they wanted and they could do so with others and with the encouragement of the magazine and this community that they lived in. Now by the time Japan invades Manchuria in 1937 and they start the second Sino-Japan War and eventually World War II, a lot of magazines targeted for both girl students and boy students dramatically change, basically making sure how can you as a teen boy be ready to soon participate in the war effort as a soldier. Whereas girl magazines, the government wanted to make sure that girls were being productive at the home front because students, especially girl students, were seen as an unproductive part of society because they're too young to marry, they can't have children yet, and they're not in the workforce, they're not supporting their husbands. They're just there waiting to become a wife and a mother. So in 1941, a lot of censorship is cracking down on magazines. A lot of the popular artists for these girls' magazines are getting fired because their art promotes 
sentimentalism or individualism. And sentimentalism is an important part of the visual language of girls' magazines. And I'll discuss that later when I discuss some of the artists. But in 1941, Uchiyama, he writes an editorial saying that girls need to stop being sentimental and they have to understand the realities of the world around them. And many readers at the time felt that they were being scolded by this person. They felt understood them and let them be themselves. And this caused a rift between the once close readership and magazine staff for Shoujo no Tomo. And in 1942, there was a paper shortage and a government edict made it so that Shoujo Gaho merged with Shoujo no Tomo. And also during this time, the Takarizuka Review at their official school, the Takarizuka Music School, all students that didn't live within the Takarizuka Osaka area were sent home. And all the students that lived locally, classes were canceled and all the students were sent to munitions factories. And later in that year, in 1942, we see the first air raid on Tokyo. And then eventually, up until 1945, there are air raids by the newly created B-29 bombers bombing Tokyo. And then, of course, eventually in 1945, we have the two nuclear bombs drop in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And then we also have Operation Meeting House, which is one of the deadliest single air attack in human history. An estimated 100,000 people died from Operation Meeting House so as a recap, in the first decade of the 20th century, we see the birth of girls' magazines, and they live through this interactivity between their readership and the creative staff at the magazine. And so you start to create a cycle of talent. These young girls who, starting high school up until graduation and beyond, they've been practicing their creative skills, either through writing or through art. And some do become writers as the workforce opens up to more women throughout the Taisho era. And you have this sense of community between this nation and its colonies of this unified sense of girlhood. Because of these traumatic events and mass death of civilians, no one is going to believe that we can just go back to this age of prosperity and innocence. A lot of these students have seen parents, neighbors, siblings, fellow classmates die and they're starving and people are impoverished and these magazines trying to recapture the magic of the pre-war era no one's buying it because it feels like it's spinning in the face of this trauma that everyone's experienced and everyone's trying to figure out how to recover from in the decade following the war we now see a lot of these girls magazines shut down or they have to shift focus on these new cinema stars because after the war we start seeing japanese movies get national acclaim and eventual international acclaim like movies by akira kurosawa yasujiro a lot of movies are being made movies critical of the war effort of the current bureaucracy of japan and we also see a lot of light-hearted fare and we see a rise of what's called the Three Daughters, who are three young teen actresses who are now seen as the celebrities for teen girls to model themselves after. The three girls were Hibari Misora, Chiemi Eri, and Izumi Yukimura. But these three are now the model of girlhood, of being a shoujo in this post-war era. It's no longer these illustrations of schoolgirls in this idea of sameness and sentimentalism. That is now something of the past that can't be reached again because of this natural trauma just ripping apart everything that the nation knew.
So the once immensely popular Shoujo no Tomo eventually shuts down in 1955, but Shoujo Club slowly starts the transformation to eventually becoming a manga magazine, and it becomes Shoujo Friend in 1962 and becomes Best of Friends in 1996. And their publisher, Kodansha, starts a second magazine called Nakayoshi. Meanwhile, a rival publisher, Shueisha creates Ribbon in 1955 and Margaret in 1962. And if you're already familiar with shoujo manga, you'll probably already know the names Ribbon and Margaret. But before we dive into shoujo manga and its birth in the 50s and 60s, we're going to go all the way back in the pre war era and talk about dojoga or lyrical pictures. Takahisa Yumeji was a self taught artist and he did a lot of work for advertisements. And his work didn't have the large eyes that become the signature of shoujo manga, but they had a lot of the delicate limbs that you'll see in the art styles of Ryoko Ikeda. Famously, Clamp's art has a lot of long, delicate limbs. But Yumeji also takes a lot from the Jojoga style, and his backgrounds evoke a lot of emotions and seemingly say a lot despite not having any words. And this lyrical picture style of the pre-war inspires shoujo manga because a lot of the works of the 60s have flowers and ornate backgrounds that at the time were criticized for not featuring enough action, but eventually by the 70s, people start using these ornate backgrounds to help evoke emotions. Another important artist is Kasho Takabatake. In his style, He was formally trained at three public institutions and one private art school. He learned the Nihonga style, which takes from traditional Japanese art and Western styles called yoga. And his art is very much inspired by Art Nouveau and bringing in traditional Japanese styles to Art Nouveau. And a lot of the girls and boys in his art were considered androgynous looking. And the people that he drew featured large eyes, small faces, and small mouths. But he also helps bring bishonen or pretty boy art to the 20s and 30s. And once the invasion of Manchuria happened in 1937, his art style fell out of favor for boys' magazines. And the last artist I'll feature from the pre war era is an artist who also is a major influence after war, and that's Jinichi Nakahara. He started working at Shoujo no Tomo in 1921, and him and Uchiyama had a good working relationship, so his art became a very regular feature within the magazine. His artwork before the war is more flat, like Nihonga style, but his eyes are probably the largest with the most extreme eyelashes. And his faces are also very round, sharp chins, very small mouths with plump lips. But if you look at Junichi Nakahara art before the war, You can clearly see the influence just from the eyes themselves. And after the war, Nakahara's art evolves into something more appropriate for fashion magazines. And you see the influence from American cinema like Audrey Hepburn. And the eyes get less extreme as he adds more depth to the illustrations, but they're still very large and again feature a lot of emphasis on the eyelashes. And as I already mentioned with Kasho, Nakahara and Imeji also had. Sameness in the depictions of women in their art. A lot of the girls and the adult women had the same faces with variations in hairstyle and clothing, but again, this sameness was a very important part of the art for these girls' magazines, and it will also influence boys' love 
in the 70s and 80s and Rosa Rasai. And fun fact, Junichi Nakahara got fired from Chojin Otomo once the government censors were going around because his art was supposedly promoting individualism. So after the war and into the early days of manga in the 50s, early 60s, we see Makoto Takahashi. And while his actual manga career wasn't long, Makoto Takahashi, he had some criticisms saying that his illustrations weren't illustrations because there was too many texts. But then his manga was a manga because it was too much like an illustration. And what he did with Paris Tokyo and Sakura Namki, you have large full-page illustrations with text outside of a speech bubble, like a picture book. And that had criticisms saying, oh, people are doing style pictures, which would be the eventual name for this, because it'll just show the fashion. That's all girls care about. But because of his background and eventual career as an illustrator, he did that to help bring focus and help girls visualize their characters by having a full portrait and something else that Makoto would do due to his illustration background is instead of having panels of a character and text, he would sometimes have panels of just an illustration. He would sign his name in the corner as if it was a full picture. And he would have panels of just pictures, no words. And again, at this time, people were criticizing shoujo manga for just being shallow, fashion, no action. These style pictures that the mangaka of this time in the 50s and 60s were doing, they eventually become a layering technique. You will see in shoujo manga of the 70s and 80s, experimental large panels, and then you'll have characters or objects seemingly floating above these panels to help create depth to the action or to help create space that the audience can understand. In not this rigid world of smaller panels of dedicated speech bubbles and thought bubbles or constant action happening in the immediate space. You start to see the pages symbolically open up and help create large spaces which the artist can then express the story with. Another benefit that wasn't seen at the time to these style pictures and large illustrations is that the audience reading these books had large reference photos to then practice drawing themselves. And so eventually this gets caught on by publishers and your large manga magazines would come with envelopes for you to send your practice drawings in. And these magazines use this as a scouting technique for future talent. So this interactivity that was an integral part of girls magazines before the war starts coming back in the post-war because all those readers before the war grew up knowing and unconsciously participating in this interactivity between creator and audience, they bring that with them to the post-war and they open that up again by having this little level of interactivity, by having these style pictures or these photo shots. This encourages your readers to then practice and send that in. And if you're not sending it in, you have large reference photos from all these different creators that you can now practice or take from one creator to the other and help hone your style, and then eventually you become an independent illustrator or become a mangaka yourself. Because critics of manga were focused more on shonen manga than shoujo, the artists of shoujo were allowed more room to experiment with things like paneling, narrative devices, layouts, and eventually this experimentation evolves into the visuals that we start to see in, from the year 24 group in the early 70s. 
the year 24 group starts out the gate at very young ages, and we start to see creators like Hagio Moto, Keiko Takeyama, Ryoko Ikeda, and others taking what they've learned from the early manga and inadvertently from pre-war era, and they take this visual language, and then they start bringing new genres that have never been written about for girls, like horror, feminism, revolution, boys' love, eventually we see actual lesbianism with Yuri manga, we see sci-fi, we see manga dealing with mental and physical trauma, but we see all these mature themes that were never really touched on in the pre-war, not being discussed and experimented with in the post-war by all these young women. And a part of that is because of this interactivity that we have seen throughout the 20th century. Starting especially with Shoujo no Tomo under the leadership of Uchiyama, this encouragement from your audience to create themselves and to make their own stories and to interact with others like themselves and make a community of artists and creators, that carries throughout the 20th century into the 70s and we see the year 24 group, a group of women born around the late 40s who revolutionized shoujo manga in the early 70s and into the early 80s. A lot of popular shoujo manga of the early 70s, you have the Poe clan, the Rose of Versailles, Kazete Uki no Uta, The Heart of Thomas, Shiroi Heia no Futari. You see a lot of this popular manga take this visual style from the pre-war era and just continue to evolve it. And you see the narration techniques of early shoujo manga of the 50s starting from illustration work and slowly evolving its way into what we know today as manga. And these young women just taking all these ideas and themes never before written for girls and just adding it with this style that is inherently for girls. And it just creates this boon of creativity in art for the shoujo that we had never seen like this before. And it's this system of encouragement and making sure your audience is encouraged to create for themselves, whether through art or through writing, that was integral to eventually getting to shoujo manga in the year 24 group, starting all the way back with the earliest girls' magazines in the 1910s. And this is something that Takarazuka Review also does they have a dance and singing class for primary age students on Sundays, and those classes always end just in time for a 3 p.m. performance on Sundays at the Grand Theater or at Bow Hall. Takarazuka Review also has telecasts on the Osaka broadcaster KTV and NHK, and so they're always ensuring that an audience can see their productions and that the audience can feel like they too can become a Takarazuka actress. And AJW used to also do this by having broadcasts on Fuji TV. An audience was always seeing AJW. Starting in April 1975, Fuji TV regularly broadcast AJW wrestling. And so for decades, between the 70s up into the 90s, you had generation of girls seeing women wrestling on TV and thinking that they too could be like their heroes and become wrestlers. And it's not a coincidence that once AJW leaves Fuji TV and goes to Athena, 
we start to see less and less girls apply to become wrestlers because they're not seeing themselves represented on TV as wrestlers. They're now just seeing men. And so when they're watching men's wrestling, these girls aren't always going to see themselves as potential wrestlers. They're just going to see themselves as an audience. And eventually you get to this point where some dojos only have one or two students and some don't have any students. And so you get to this point in 2005 where it feels like we're in the doldrums. No one wants to be a female wrestler. And that's because you don't have a system in place to encourage the next generation to want to become a wrestler. Unlike in manga, you have a system in place, a tradition of just talking and interacting with your audience, and that helps encourage the next generation to want to become creators. A lot of female manga costs in the 70s would interact with their readers through their magazines or through fan letters. And you eventually see that jump over to shonen manga, where a lot of shonen mangaka interact with their readership. If anyone is asking why I didn't talk about Osamu Tezuka, I purposely did not talk about Osamu Tezuka because, yes, while Ribbon Knight was a popular early shoujo manga of the time, his art style is not typical of the shoujo style. His large eyes did not glitter and sparkle like that of Paris Tokyo and Sakura Namiki and eventually Rosa Rasai and the contemporaries in the 70s. His eyes, while inspired by the Takarazuka Review, were more flat and his art style didn't, didn't have the depth that we would see in the late 60s into the 70s. And again, I want to thank everyone for listening into the podcast. I want to thank Jamesy for the shout out on his podcast, for my show, and also the Psychology is Dead Top 101 Matches of the 2010s. The We Don't Know Wrestling Network is popping off right now with all types of content, and I heavily suggest listening to all of it. Psychology is Dead, the Boots and Trunks podcast is also great, the Q&T show, We Don't Know Wrestling Society X, it's all great stuff, and I'm happy they let me on the network with this. What I feel like is just a super specific, out there podcast that I didn't expect so many people to listen to, but I'm glad are, because... As I'll talk about next episode, a major key to the popularity of Joshi Wrestling is the Takarazuka Review, and you will not see anyone in the West talk about the Takarazuka Review in regards to Joshi Wrestling, despite the fact that even today, the Takarazuka Review is one of the largest, if not the largest, influence on Joshi Wrestling. <laughs>